1: Hello, nerds, and welcome to the Engadget podcast. This is episode twenty-nine, Reoffender. Joining me this week, Dana Woolman. Hello. Actually, we, we've changed your name. It is Dana. Why are my pants wet? <laughs> uh,
2: you have to watch the outtake reel to get the. the wire there's, there's,
1: yeah. Um, I, I do want to request that somebody out there pull together a supercut of insane things that Dana Wallman has said on this show. Uh, we were discussing it before we went on, and uh, this needs to happen. But
3: why are my pants wet? It's not like I spilled this coffee Well, that's,
1: that's the first topic in Flame Wars this yeah. week, is why are, is, Dana's, why are Dana's pants wet?
2: <laughs> awesome. We're off to a good start. Yep,
1: yeah, we're, we're in a good place, guys. Yeah. Uh, also joining me, uh, that
2: other voice you hear is Nate Ingram. How are you doing, sir? Party on, Wayne. Uh party on nate (laughs) did you know that wayne's world came out i think 25 years ago on valentine's day last week i did not know that but that seems like the appropriate day for that movie to come out yeah it's clearly a romantic comedy
1: yeah i mean it's you know it's a it's a bromance yeah um i forgot to introduce myself at the top of the show my brain's clearly broken i'm Terrence o'brien but you're used to me i'm here every week uh sadly yeah (laughs) So let's, let's not waste any more time, guys. <laughs> let's let's just, let's just get right to it yep. um, and start this week, as we do every week, with Flame Wars. Um, this is kind of where we debate a little bit. As those of you who listen and watch every week know, we made some tweaks to the format. There will no, be no winners. There will be no leaderboards. Um, if you don't like that, let us know, and maybe we'll change it back. But no more now, buzzer. No more buzzer, I know, which makes me sad. Personally. Yeah. I miss it. Um, but I wanted to start this week with uh, a particular story. Because last week we themed Flame Wars on Resurrection. It was all of these products and ideas and stuff that had been brought back from the dead. And this week there was one story about bringing a product (laughs) back from from the dead that really just stopped me in my tracks. And that is the fact that Samsung is considering selling refurbished Note 7s. Um, Let's dive in, shall we? (laughs) Uh, So, Dana.
3: So, a little bit of of background, just even before we start debating this. Yeah, that's Um, a a good move. There was a really big study released, I think, this week, um, measuring um, people's, I guess, the degree to which people trust different brands. Yeah,
2: favorability rating sort of thing.
3: For the last two years, Samsung was in the top 10 somewhere. And this year, um, surprise, surprise, its ranking dropped to 49th. And I should say this was a large study. It was over 30,000 participants, which is, um, for this sort of thing, a pretty big sample size. So uh, people trust Samsung a lot less than they used to. Samsung has a problem in terms of convincing people that its future products will be of sound build quality, that they won't blow up. Um,
1: they, they're suspicious that it won't burn down their
3: house. Right, basically. so selling refurbished Note 7s is a good first step, right?
2: Good is not is the it? word I would use. So <laughs> go ahead, Nate, before I, before I jump in here. I think that that brand has been so thoroughly burnt to the ground haha. Uh, that bringing it back is a real bad idea, but I also don't get a sense that they're trying to like make the Note 7 a thing again. I think they're saying, we've got all this hardware, that we've already manufactured, let's try and do something with it so it doesn't get completely wasted, which I think is a good goal. Uh, so it's not so much like I think we're going to be seeing like campaigns for the Note Seven or anything like that. It's just like they're going to f- tweak these things, put in smaller batteries. Uh, the report said they will probably prim- primarily be sold on in India and Vietnam, countries that are just not as
3: unfavorable.
2: Well, I think it's just a different marketplace than trying to like bring it back to the U.S. and like put a campaign behind it, right? Well, I mean, I. I... I assume they're not going to put a big marketing campaign behind it, but I'm also,
1: I am troubled by the idea of them taking these phones that explode and saying, well, we can't sell them to Americans, but yeah, you know, who's dumb enough to buy a note seven. Like that's kind of what it feels
2: like is like, well, they won't know any better. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They weren't, they're not as tuned into this news cycle perhaps, or, or what have you. Um, and I think that the thing is, like, if one thing goes wrong, like, that's it. Like, Samsung's going to be in yet another heap of trouble. It just doesn't seem, like, worth the risk. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, our, our report said that um, that they might run into trouble with their with the Korean government if they junk all these phones. So they've got to do something, it sounds like. I don't know what the right answer is. But I don't think they're just doing this to try and pull a fast one. I think they're really trying to, like, not put all these this hardware to waste and this yeah. seemed like a way to tr- to do it.
1: Well, I mean, I guess... So just to sort of play devil's
2: advocate on this one, they, they've done all their studies,
1: they've done all their analysis, and they figured out that the culprit was these giant batteries. And now mm-hmm. that they know that, it's less likely that they're going to explode. Right. And I guess the option is take these phones that are likely to burst into flames and then chuck them in a landfill <laughs> where all of their like poisonous rare earth metals will sit there and, you know... That's Never decay, either. probably, or try to resell them. Yeah. So, I mean, is that at least, if they frame it that way, does it make sense? Is that kind of like a good move for them from a PR perspective, not just like a f- ignoring the financial bottom line mm-hmm. part?
3: I mean, I would rather them refurbish the phones than um, do unnecessary damage to the environment. environment. Um yeah. I mean, at this point, I guess my negative reaction is is less that I think the phones are going to be dangerous with smaller batteries mm-hmm. and more just that I think um, this is not helping their efforts at all to salvage their reputation or rebuild their reputation. Mm. Even if it, the phones aren't meant for our market, we're the people. Um, if there
2: was a way that I was gonna say, if there was a way that they could reuse the materials or the phones in some aspect but have them be different phones. I don't know if that makes any <laughs> sense. But I'm like, if there's a way they could get away with like reusing them in some aspects, but not having, like, just here's a Note 7 we slapped I mean, the battery I'm in. I mean, what am
3: surprised they didn't do, and I've seen Samsung do this before, is where they have a lot of different variations of the same phone. Yeah. And we'll, because we, we've been tripped up by this going to trade shows, where we'll see a new phone initially think, oh, um, what is this? We've never seen the Galaxy S banana head before. <laughs> And actually, the Galaxy S Banana Head is a variant of the S6 yes. from two years ago, um, just with a slightly <laughs> different...
2: <laughs> Sidebar, guys. I think Samsung Banana Head is a clip that should make it into the Dana Supercode. I also want this to be an actual
1: phone now. Like, I want <laughs> there to be a Samsung Banana Head. I don't know where I, I
3: got that, but you know what I mean.
1: I, I, I do. Dana's they've hungry. pulled this trick
3: before, <laughs> where they've they've released very similar versions of the yeah. same phone. Um, with a new name, yeah. um, that would have been the smarter thing here.
1: It, could, have be, it, it could be as simple as just pulling the backplate off of the phone and putting a new one on. I mean, that's it's, how you have to remove the backplate anyway to install a new battery and just put one with yeah. a different logo on I mean, it. Right? I think
2: it's worth noting also this isn't, uh, I believe, official or confirmed yet from Samsung, I believe. So no. we, may, we may yet see it be something more like that than what we're imagining if it does go forward, right?
1: Yeah. Um, so let's move on to our second topic, yes. though. And that is Bill Gates. And this is sort of a topic we've touched on before right. a little bit on the show. Um, but Bill Gates proposed this idea of using a robot tax kind of as compensation for um, lost jobs.
3: It's more like he
1: so what got on
3: the bandwagon. Um, he, he's not the of inventor of workers? that idea, but he's, right. he's clearly a supporter of it.
1: So why don't you walk us through this idea a little bit, Dana?
3: So the idea being that um, if companies replace jobs formerly done by humans with automated jobs, they would pay um, taxes, um, presumably both to um, discourage um, either automating or over-automating. And um, certain proposals have suggested that that money could then be repurposed toward training humans for different kinds of jobs, perhaps jobs that robots will never be good at, like taking care of children or the elderly.
1: So on its face, it sounds like a thing that should be pretty popular, but it has had trouble gaining traction.
3: Right. The EU just considered a similar proposal and ultimately Shout rejected it.
1: Yeah. So why are they rejecting it? What What's the reason behind this, Nate? Oh, I don't Do know. You
2: know? I don't. Good question. Uh, (laughs) Give me a sec. I'll tell you.
1: Uh, You can see I did my homework today. I mean, I guess the obvious reason would be that the same reason they argue against any sort of taxes, which is it would slow reinvestment. It's going to slow innovation and stuff like that, right? That's like sort of the big obvious one. You're dissuading people actively from investing in technology to improve production. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a strange... um, it's sort of like self-driving cars in that I think there's going to be a real push and pull between the old and the new for a good long while as we figure out like, what's the best way to implement this thing that's clearly coming, right? Like robots taking jobs is going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And it can be for the best in a lot of ways, but there's also going to be like that job cost. And like, what does that, like, what's that look like? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, mean, this this has been happening for years though, right? Like, isn't that like assembly lines, like similar kind of thing. Like, this just feels like the next step in that evolution.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's not uh, should also make it clear that this is not like an overnight thing. All of a sudden, everybody woke right. up and went, "We don't have jobs because of robots." Um, this has been like a slow and steady march and a slow and steady bleed as technology has improved, as the ability to produce more with fewer ma- with less manpower uh, has improved. So um, this
2: this tax would tax the companies using robots, basically. Mm-hmm. So. There's a financial incentive for them not to use these robots then. Yeah. And there's also the fact that these robots could be making things safer. They could be taking jobs that are dangerous and putting them in the hands of a robot instead of a human. Yep. So there's, you know, there could be uh, safety benefits from robot workers. There can be economic benefits, you know, efficiency benefits. Yeah. But we're disincentivizing that. That seems like a strange tactic to me. I
1: I think that's honestly uh, probably the strongest argument against this sort of thing is the one that you just kind of touched on, which is this efficiency one. Um, Because, you know, as you produce more, you're able to drive down costs, and that in turn drives down cost of living. Mm. Um, We won't get too into the weeds on this stuff, but, you know, one of the strongest arguments in favor of a lot of, like, trade agreements and stuff is that because you're able to manufacture goods for cheaper in China, that makes it easier for a person... In America, to afford uh, certain goods and a certain standard of living that they might not have been able to uh, before. This is the two th- the last century in action, basically, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but as we also know, people like having jobs. It's really <laughs> hard to afford things if you don't have a job, period, no mm-hmm. matter how cheaply they're made in China. Um, any last thoughts on that, Dana, before we move on? I have a feeling this is a topic we're going to end up coming back to at some point.
3: Probably at some point, and... Um It's a complicated one. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I sort of lean toward where Nate was going, where, um, you know, for the centuries, the technology has been marching forward. Um, I say centuries, referring to the Industrial Revolution. Mm -hmm. Um, Attacks like this would be unprecedented, right? When have we before penalized companies for taking advantage of...
2: New technology.
1: New
3: technology, even if it did um, force humans to... Take different kinds of jobs.
1: It's a good question. I don't know. I'd have to. I'd actually yeah. have to do some research on that. Sounds it's, like a good story. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like the sort of thing <laughs> that I actually am going to want to immediately research when we leave this <laughs> uh, set. Um, our last topic for Flame Wars, Nate. I'm going to turn yeah. to you to kind of fill in the details here, because um, if I'm honest, I'm not completely caught up on this at all, yeah. um, and that's mostly because I hate PewDiePie.
2: PewDiePie. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why I said that like that. So why don't you give us a quick yeah.
1: rundown of the story this week, and well, then we'll kind so, of pull it apart. So
2: last week, uh, PewDiePie, huge YouTube celebrity, 53 million followers on the platform. He's
1: the, the he's the number one YouTube
2: earner, right? Not, I think not just earner, but he has the most subscribers by about 20 million, too. He's, he's w- far and away the most popular. The people
3: behind him were mega pop stars like Taylor Swift and...
2: I remember, yeah, Taylor Swift and there was some... other uh, Bieber. Bieber, Bieber yeah. is like number three on the top list of, of uh, subscribers, and he's at 27 million. PewDiePie is almost double that. So we know how popular Bieber is. So this is a pretty crazy thing. He's found a very weird, interesting niche on YouTube, regardless of whether you care for it or not. I yeah. don't personally, but he's clearly got an audience. Yep. Um, he also has a propensity for doing dumb things with his channel occasionally. Most recently, he posted a video where he used like a job payment service where you can like request someone to do something in a like third world country and you pay them a small amount of money for it kind of like task rabbit yeah so. but okay. but going across nations basically yeah. um so basically you had these uh, I believe they were Indian Indian folks, hold up a sign that said death to all Jews, I think, and put it on this video. Uh, he promptly lost his deal with Disney's Maker Studios. Uh, YouTube canceled the second season of his YouTube Red show, Scare PewDiePie, and they pulled him from their Google preferred ad platform because of this. Um, all of which I would say is a reasonable response to what he did. Yeah. Um, and then I just started thinking about, okay, what's their relationship going to look like going forward? Uh, between YouTube and PewDiePie. And I got to the point where I think that um, they still need each other so much that they're going to continue this sort of awkward relationship of, uh, you know, mutual – their mutually beneficial awkward relationship because he's got so many subscribers. It doesn't make sense for him to jump ship and go somewhere else even if he is angry about, uh, you know, the treatment he's received. And for YouTube, uh, probably one of those kind of free speech backlashes that I have to imagine if they actually banned him for what he's done. Yeah.
3: Right. I don't think Google is much more willing to wade into that debate than, let's say, Twitter is. Yeah. Um, Twitter banned Milo a while back, um, even before this week's, you know, right. um, fresh controvers- controversies around him. But, I mean, Twitter otherwise also is not, um, has been hesitant to decide what is acceptable speech and what's not. Yeah. And Google, too, seems. Well, to they've shy got, away so from in that. their
2: guidelines, of course, they say no hate speech. And they also say they typically will remove video people flag videos they'll remove them and then eventually they'll take the step of yeah. removing an account if they need to and as distasteful as some of the stuff PewDiePie has done I don't know that he's violated the crossed the line enough times to ban him if he was a normal random individual who did this with a smaller following
1: yeah and i mean his his defense what he said is basically um you know this isn't hate speech really because it was a satire, yeah it was a satire right. that was ultimately his defense right yeah.
2: I mean, yeah. I mean, it's
1: a joke I don't get if it was supposed right. to be a joke. Um, and that
2: seems to be like the, the the defense of a lot of people who post, um, you know, unpleasant, hateful things online. Like they'll, they'll walk like, oh, it's just a joke, man. Don't you get the joke? And his followers, of course, are all in on the joke. You look at his uh, Facebook and YouTube and there's plenty of comments saying, like, you're the band, PewDiePie. Keep doing your thing. Like, so did you watch this video, by the I, way? It's gone. They pulled it. Either they pulled it or he pulled it. So I don't have the full context of how it was presented, to be honest. Okay. I'm sure it's out there somewhere because nothing dies on the internet. I'm sure within about 30 seconds. Someone it. will send it to us. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I com- without having seen the full thing, I think that YouTube did the right thing in terms of severing their relationship with him. I don't know if they need to ban him from a – like, there's a big difference between what Milo did and what he's done, yeah. right? Like, Milo's actively encouraging individuals to attack other individuals – He's. I think PewDiePie is just kind of a dumb, dumb young man who does dumb things occasionally, and he happens to have a huge audience, which makes those dumb yeah. mistakes much more visible.
1: You can't say dumb enough when discussing PewDiePie. <laughs> um, I mean, Dana, do you think that it's kind of time for YouTube to really just pull the cord, or do you think this was the right stop, the right stop for them to like just kind of like, well, our sort of official relationship is over. We're not gonna go out of our way to promote you or help you earn additional money, but. We're also going to just, like, let you do what you need to do and kind of step back.
3: Um, I wouldn't want to see them ban him without a larger discussion about how they handle trolls. And, and for YouTube, it's sort of twofold, right? Because there are the content creators, people like PewDiePie who mm-hmm. could potentially um, post something offensive. But then the comments themselves all over YouTube are a cesspool. Yeah, that's um, a good point. And I, I think that's why I say Google – um, has long had a troubled relationship with trolls on YouTube. I don't even just mean the YouTubers themselves, but sometimes no, the commenters. comments are far worse. <laughs> and so I kind of feel like, you know, they could ban PewDiePie, but I don't really think that would usher in or signal any changes in the way they do things or the way they think about um, hate speech or trolling. Yeah. And without that, I'm really not interested in them um, using one person as an example,
2: mm. yeah, um, it's kind of interesting you mentioned Google's problem with uh, unpleasant commenting and hate speech and so forth. Because just a few hours ago, uh, an Alphabet company called Jigsaw released um, a project they're working on called Perspective. It's machine learning AI that looks at comments and tries to identify toxic comments. And the machine is getting smarter and smarter yeah. as it reviews these comments. Uh, and they want to make this available to publications and publishers to implement on their platforms to help clean up online discussions. Sounds like it could be super useful on YouTube itself, but they've been working, uh, they've been doing a pilot with the New York Times as well. Sounds like it could be super useful on Engadget. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but ah, it's,
1: it's just true. Yeah, I mean, our commenters know. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but this is like, I mean, I'd love to see where this goes because I didn't think of the, about this until we just started talking about it, but it would absolutely be useful on YouTube if they could make this thing smart enough to know when it just automatically nicks comments that, Hit a certain threshold, yeah. Um, from one like
1: fucking giant trash fire to another.
2: Oh, f bombs.
1: Well, there's no other way to describe this. Let's move on to group chat where we discuss the big topic of the week. And this week, we need to talk about Uber, which is one of the giant, the most giant trash fires in the world. Like, like it's it's insane. Yeah. Um, this week. They're dealing with um, some pretty troubling charges of sexism and workplace harassment,
3: and it, and it, as the follow-up New York Times expose revealed, not just sexism and harassment, but just general um, lack of boundaries, chaotic
1: yeah. workplace inappropriateness. In a, yeah, um, yeah, there's some general ugliness just. In the corporate culture there in general, it seems.
2: With sexism and misogyny being a big part of it, but not the only part, it turns out.
1: So why don't don't we actually start with some of the uh, bigger, um, like, sort of, like, broad brush things before we dig down into the sexism misogyny stuff (laughs) specifically. Um, Which is just, like, this, like, weird, hyper-aggressive, like... God damn it, Nate... (laughs) <laughs> forgetting to mute your computer that's yeah. no. right I did it too rookie mistake um, this sort of like like hyper aggressive um, get ahead at any cost culture that they've seemed to have uh, built up where you know the only way forward is to take down the person ahead of you and do it in very unapologetically I
3: mean another example of where there are no boundaries at this company yeah, there are no boundaries between people's jobs and roles and no boundaries in terms of um, people's ability to make other people feel uncomfortable. Yeah,
2: yeah, and that I'd say was part of what Susan Fowler wrote for sure. Like it was, a, it was the, maybe a secondary part of her story, but the vibe I got from her post was that I'm facing a lot of sexism here, and at the same time, it's a totally chaotic workplace environment where there's no direction. People are just looking out for themselves and stabbing yeah. the people in the back. And so I just tried to put my head down and do work for a year. Did as much as I could. Kept running into real issues and then just decided to get the hell out.
1: Um, I mean, the, the the New York Times article, which we'll link to in the description uh, for this episode, is very revealing in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, we'll also li- link to Fowler's letter, so you can read that mm-hmm. and get some more detail there. Um, but like, the, the Times kind of paints this picture of a company where people are not just out for themselves because it happens to be staffed by a bunch of people who are very self-centered but that it's like actively encouraged for you to go out of your way to undermine your manager and try to take their job from them and that's like an understood part of the corporate culture that like everybody knows their subordinates are out to get them and that you should be out to get your boss.
3: And sort of following on to that, <laughs> and both I think you guys
2: look out. <laughs>
3: I think both. uh Oh, um, I think both Fowler's and account and the New York Times account um, sort of agree in this way. Um, there is this. I want to meritocracy really isn't the right word, but this idea that, well,
2: my guy, like, Isaac, you use that. In the New if York you're Times high
3: performing could, enough,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: then,
3: then it, you are immune to consequences. And yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: So that's that was, what you.
2: Yeah, that's what she wrote in her piece is basically she reported a manager who was sexually harassing her, and they're like, oh, well, basically he's high-performing enough that we want to give him the benefit of the doubt, give him another shot. Yeah. This is his first-time offense. And turns out it's not the first-time offense. It took them forever to get him out of the company.
3: It's fascinating. And, I mean, so of the people at this table, Terrence and I do have direct reports. We manage people. We give performance reviews every year. And what we're seeing here from Uber is this idea that – your performance as a human being is divorced from your performance um, in a as quantitative Im- results yeah. sort of way, which, which isn't how we see it.
1: No, I mean, just they, from like they, a broader culprit culture thing. Like, that's an extremely troubling, like, kind of approach to things. Um, like, it's meritocracy gone completely awry. Basically, <laughs> like, I mean, meritocracy is the right word. It's just broken down to the point that it seems completely non-functioning. Because, I mean, I don't... I personally don't know how Uber works internally. I don't work there. But, like, if the Engadget staff was constantly, like, at each other's throats trying to take each other down and trying to usurp each other and not working together as a cohesive team to, like, accomplish a broader goal, we would fail. We would fall in our place. Fall in our face, and it would be terrible.
3: I think it's reasonable, too, to have... Um, to expect people on the one hand to do a good job but at the same time to have a no-asshole policy. Yeah,
1: I mean, also, (laughs) let's be clear, um, I spend probably as much if not more of my time working every week than I do all other things combined except actually probably including (laughs) sleeping. Um, I want that to be an enjoyable experience. Like, it shouldn't be uh, a combative place to be. You shouldn't, Mm -hmm. like, be constantly watching your back you know, 50, 60, 70 hours a week because Nate is trying to take your job.
2: It's true. (laughs) But I'm going to do it in a nice way. You'll be polite about it. You'll smile all through it. Yeah. Um, No, this is, I mean, and and again, Fowler gets into all these things. She said that, um, you know, she was told that she would get a bad performance review if she stayed on the team of the person she tried to report. Like, they straight up told her this and then said, if you stay in this team, it's you can't blame us because we gave you this warning that you would get this bad review. And then, um, she was threatened, they've threatened to fire her for reporting things to HR then, basically, which is legal. she tells them. When
3: there were enough yeah. complaints about this guy, they just kind of um,
1: pushed him like moved him someplace else. Yeah,
3: I they know, like pulled, if they left pulled the company
1: Catholic, but they don't know. they pulled a Catholic church. They I, I wasn't gonna sh- say it, but that's I'm Catholic yeah. It's fine. It's
3: okay yeah <laughs> I
1: believe he did I, leave, I can
2: say it. I believe he did leave the company eventually eventually. I don't know and under what circumstances if he was fired if he left if he the zone court or what. Um, but yeah, the whole thing is super troubling. And I think the broader, you know, if we get into broader picture is saying this is not just Uber's problem. Like, maybe no. they're worse than other companies in the Valley, but well, um, Nicole is too
3: large. Uber is too large to get away with this idea that it's a startup culture. You yeah. know, not that any startup should have this, but this is a company valued at 70 billion dollars. It is sophisticated enough in other ways that it um, it's sophisticated in the way it deals with the government hmm um why can't it have a sophisticated hr it sounds operation? like hr was
2: made this did not prioritize until they were much bigger than it should have happened much sooner yeah. in their history right well i mean and again
1: i think it also goes to that sort of meritocracy run awry thing which is their ultimate goal is making money and you are free to do whatever you need to do to reach your goals whether that's you know number of drivers, number of rides, amount of money you're bringing in, you know, revenue, all of that stuff takes precedent over the work environment. And so if you do horrible things, if you harass your employees, all of that is forgiven as long as you meet your, like, financial goals. Um,
2: It's particularly interesting seeing this all come up to this, you know, this over the last week, considering that we just sort of exited a bad month of uberpulism, publicity right the delete uber campaign was yeah. going wild um so they've had a pretty rough 2017 so far yeah
1: so let's before we go into the broader issues that uh uber has had and the um delete uber campaign which i feel like has stopped and started multiple times um i don't know about you guys but i deleted uber like about a year and a half ago and haven't looked back Wow, good for you <laughs> um, it's so
2: convenient sometimes though.
1: <laughs> there's a company called lyft yeah i've been using <laughs> them more now for sure um Let's let's actually dig into some of the, like the specific allegations that have been thrown out against people at Uber, just to like take this out of um,
2: the realm of abstraction. Yeah.
1: So this and this is not from the Fowler letter uh, because that is sort of long and winding, and how it's a whole bunch of stuff and be a lot harder to get through on this podcast. So we're just going to go to the New York Times one uh, because it's a little bit more condensed. Um, it says that one fee- one Uber manager groped a female co-worker's breasts at a company retreat in Las Vegas. Um, this was reported to have happened, like, publicly and in plain view of people, and nothing happened.
3: That sounds like one of the few cases at least cited so far where someone was quickly and summarily um, terminated.
1: Yeah. Um, there, As you'd w- hope. <laughs> yes. There was an incident uh, in a meeting where a director shouted a homophobic slur at a subordinate during a heated confrontation. Um, there was another incident where a manager threatened to beat an underperforming employee's head-in with a baseball bat. Um, now, to be fair, we have to say, like, we don't have document uh, documentary evidence of these things. These are allegations. These are, uh, at least to some extent, unproven. Um... But, I mean, it paints a really horrifying picture, and those are just, like, a few incidents. And I believe Mike
3: Isaac, the New York Times reporter, said at the beginning of his story that he spoke to 30 or maybe more yeah, than 30, 30 um, current and former employees. Yep. Yeah.
2: Which is a pretty good sample. Right.
3: I, I was impressed by his sourcing. Yeah. Um, um,
2: and I think this all comes top-down. Uh, another thing he notes in his story is that uh, Uber CEO GQ article of 2014 refers to Uber as boober because of how the company helped him attract women. Fuck that guy. Seriously. I um,
3: mean, don't fuck that guy, but yeah, actually, fuck that guy.
2: Nobody should ever fuck that
3: guy ever again.
1: <laughs> like, ugh. <laughs> uh, uh, so this has
2: been going on for, I mean, yeah, there's been a lot of talk about how he's a horrible human being for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It just doesn't seem to matter up to a certain point. So let's
1: do a quick sort of run through the other stuff that Uber has gotten in trouble for (laughs) over the last God knows how many years. Um, They got a little blowback last month for dropping surge pricing when New York City taxis went on strike in protest of Trump's immigration ban.
3: They were called um, strike breakers. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, there was the incident um, where they were sort of using their power to um, track journalists, right? Or threatening yeah, to?
1: Threatening to. Um, I don't have the guy's name in front of me, unfortunately. Um, one of the higher ups at Uber basically suggested that they should use um, Uber systems. The to God tra- View.
2: Hmm? The God View. Yeah, the God tool. View,
1: which kind of tracks and monitors Uber traffic all over to uh, keep. Tabs on journalists who wrote disparaging articles
2: about Uber, and this was back in 2014. Yeah, by the way, so it's a long time ago now.
1: This has been
3: years and, and years
2: of bad
1: press. Then just coming. it's
3: it's negotiating tactics with various um, cities and government local governments. Well,
1: their their tactic is don't negotiate,
2: basically
3: just keep doing what they're doing. Yeah.
2: Roll in, do your thing until your thing. they get legally challenged. In certain
3: places like Paris, weren't they accused of actually funding any? Um, paying for any fines incurred by its drivers?
1: That I'm not 100% sure of, but I'm sure I can find out very quickly. Uh, <laughs> the list goes on the, and on. We have the yeah. internet in the room with us. Yeah, I mean, so they're... They've found themselves on the wrong side of the law on multiple occasions. They've um, been accused of being strike breakers. Um, there's been incidents across the globe, which, I mean, this falls... That they happened falls less, I think, on Uber, but how they handle it was botched, which was, uh, you know, a number of sexual assaults by mm-hmm. uh, drivers and their employee, um, which they handled atrociously.
2: They were also very resistant to release any sort of diversity reporting, which um, isn't in the same realm of these other yeah. transgressions, but it's just interesting to see their lack of regard for They will now, but they will now. They well, I was going to say that that brings us to their
1: reaction to this letter, which uh, Fowler released. Which um, you know, the I don't know how much faith I want to put in the response that it's like genuine or that it's going to get anything accomplished. But it does seem like they're going a step farther than they have in the past. It feels like the first time
2: that they're taking it seriously.
1: It feels like it might be,
2: Um, and it sounds like the it's kind of coming to a head internally. It sounds like lots of employees are now internally coming forward and saying, "I'm having these experiences," or "I'm horrified to hear these experiences." Like people are starting to open up and talk about this more. Like it seems like the Fowler letter was finally the thing that like tipped tipped the uh, scales.
1: So what are the what are the things they're doing in response to this?
3: So they're there, um, conducting the investigation, led by Eric Holder. Yes, you may have heard of him, For, um,
1: former uh, Attorney General of the United States. Yes.
3: <laughs> um, also participating is board member Arianna Huffington. You may have heard of her, also uh,
1: former former editor in chief of Huffington Post.
3: Based in this building,
1: <laughs> our, our our former boss, actually.
3: Yeah. Um. So, there's the investigation. They'll be releasing diversity numbers going forward, and um. Uber itself led a 90-minute um, town hall meeting with the, its own employees recently just to answer questions, um, hear grievances. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that was very um, fraught, yes. as you'd expect it to yeah.
1: be. Um, I would love to kind of see that. Apparently, there is video of that that exists somewhere. Um, right.
3: The New York Times had a chance to yeah. review it. I
1: mean, if anybody out there wants to send that our <laughs> way, please feel free. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it sounds like it got pretty heated. It sounds like it got pretty emotional mm-hmm. um, by all intents and purposes. I saw, I don't know if I believe this, but I did see one report that um, Travis Kalanick. I, that's Butchering yet another name. That's what I did. I don't know how to say it. Either, uh, Uber so. CEO at some point was actually brought to tears during the course
2: of this because of God knows. The horrible things people were saying that were happening at his company. Yeah. Um, so it's not a robot. Yeah, maybe Perhaps.
1: he's not. Maybe he's not a complete monster. So, I mean, I don't know. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a rough year for Uber, I think. Um, but is it too late? Is kind of my question at this point. To change the culture there. To change the culture there and to regain trust amongst a certain sect of the population. I mean, Uber is too big. I think obviously to fail at this point like they're not that was going to be my
3: next question are they too big to fail i think
1: I, they are they're not going away right right i mean there's no way this destroys uber as a company
2: no it's i mean hopefully it'll change things for the better i'm a naive sort of optimistic person i don't know if it'll actually happen but i guess that's the best case scenario when horrible things like this happen is that you can say well hopefully it'll get better for all those people working yeah. there because they do employ quite a large number of people um and then i think that the other good thing that could come this is that hopefully we'll encourage other companies in silicon valley to look at how they're dealing with with employees doing with yeah. women dealing with minorities that sort of thing um it's been a hot topic obviously um but like as i think we reported we're saying there's a this is not unique to uber as we've said multiple times yeah silicon valley in general seems to be a pretty sexist place uh then that that just needs to change. And I think there's two issues. One is, like, we've talked a lot about diversity at these companies, uh, you know, filling in their ranks with women and people of color and so forth. And then the other side is how they treat those people while they're there. Um, Fowler writes that she saw, like, she just saw the numbers dropping uh, of women working there while, like, she was there for a year and she just saw it go from, like, 15% to, like, 3% of her yeah. team or something mm-hmm. crazy like that. I mean, and that's, that's, like, an important point,
1: I think, that we can't repeat enough. It's not enough to hire, you know, of your staff be female engineers or whatever. Like, They also need to be
2: happy and comfortable working there. They Mm -hmm. have to have a a welcoming, safe environment. And you need to respond to their concerns if something goes wrong, which clearly it sounds like Uber was not, and that's one of the worst things about it too, is not just the people there who were treating their employees badly, but then the corporate response which was so dismissive and yeah. just bizarre so
1: before we kind of wrap up this conversation because i think we we don't have the time really <laughs> i think to disappear down the rabbit hole of sexism in silicon valley is a broader thing right now that is like we could fill
2: weeks m- of podcasts
1: <laughs> years of podcasts probably about it um but the i think w- one response from uber in this that kind of gave me pause. Like, I know it seems like they're kind of starting to take things mm-hmm. seriously a little bit. And hopefully they are. Hopefully this was like a last, ga- last gasp of like stupid Uber, mm-hmm. which was um, in the midst of all this, they came out and said, you know, we, we're at, uh, I think it said 15% uh, female mm-hmm. of our engineers, um, product managers and whatever else are female. And then went on to say, Google's at 16 and, Twitter's at ten, like which is incorrect. Basically, <laughs> well, the number they get for Twitter A is incorrect, but B also other company shortcomings don't excuse yours. Right. Um, that's I hate whenever I see that from. It's the sort of thing you see from like politicians and stuff. Mm-hmm. Often it's like the, well, you know, I was wrong, but so are you.
3: Right, and I mean. <laughs> You're so, still wrong <laughs> without going down another rabbit hole.
1: yeah, we'll stop there. It's so uh, and I
3: say this as myself as a woman. Obviously I would like to see um, strong representation at these companies, but I think that's only the beginning. Obviously as we've said, it's the way they treat um, treat their employees. and then I think outwardly um, image is a whole other mm-hmm. thing. I mean, we're talking about this on the same day that Apple came out in defense of transgender rights yep. And you know, a few couple weeks ago, there was a Super Bowl where any number of tech companies, I don't think Uber was included among them um, released ads that had some sort of social message and by the way, one of them was Airbnb, which is similar to Uber in the sense that it has also had to negotiate with a lot of local um, governments as it introduces what is a pretty disruptive yeah, product yeah. but in some ways, Airbnb and Uber are um, couldn't be more different yeah I, don't, I can't speak to their. Airbnb's internal culture. I don't think it has been plagued by controversy the way Uber has. I I mean, it's it's
2: had occasional moments of of issue, but not anything in the same. They've handled it much better.
3: Airbnb, I think, is better at negotiating. I think um, Airbnb has come under fire for um, racism among people renting out their apartments, but Airbnb seems to have been fairly quick to take a stand and make a commitment to fighting that Mm -hmm. Um, I don't even want to get into Airbnb Super Bowl ads that seems like (laughs) beside the point but I think there is a blueprint out there for companies um, that are doing that are big companies and and, you know profitable that are doing a better job treating their employees better and also just um, projecting um, a better image yeah well
2: as far as Airbnb goes, I was at one of their events in San Francisco last year where their uh, new head of diversity, I believe, talked about the racism issues and went through all the steps that they were going to take to address them. And that made me think of uh, another article, Terrence, that you shared was uh, on Recode about Bernard Coleman, who is Uber's new uh, diversity officer. I believe he joined the company about a month ago. So right before all this stuff started <laughs> happening. So he's going to have a tough first couple months, too. But um, at least they have someone in this position. Hopefully yep. he will be able to make a difference. It sounds like he's got the background to do so.
3: Yeah, and I mean these companies aren't perfect either, but I think we can and that's just one example, but I think there are companies that are doing more to work on these things. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and when criticism comes their way, their reaction isn't as dismissive. And I think that's one of the the big things. Um, it's it's ultimately not like a really concrete react thing to get obsessed about like i know that how uber reacts to criticism about sexual harassment isn't a big deal in the grand scheme of things like it's more important that you actually address the root of the problem um but it sets a tone when your reaction to criticism and accusations of sexual harassment is yeah but so does google like it's say we'll look (laughs) into that you're right. That's yeah. a very serious accusation. There there are potential problems here, and we will do our best to address it.
3: Yeah. And by it's, the way, Google's women, however few they are, they get free lunch, and they get their <laughs> own bathrooms, and probably aren't groped at events.
2: They also probably get the leather jackets.
3: Yeah. Um,
1: uh, there's so many tiny yeah. little details that we don't have time to, to yeah. get to that you all should read the... Read the letter. Read the New York Times article. Also read our articles. Uh, Nicole Nicoli has an excellent piece about um, how Uber is really not alone, that it's just emblematic of a broader problem in Silicon Valley with sexism. All very much worth a read. All of those links will be down in the description. Um, last week, we ended with our recommendation section. We are still looking for a name for that. Um <laughs> Right now, we got got a couple of suggestions. We haven't settled on one just yet. Um, I'm going to go with a slight variation on one of the suggestions we read that we received, which is the wind down, which I kind of like. So this is where we kind of just talk about what we're reading, watching, listening to, just what we're doing in our downtime to take our mind off of the nonsense that's going around or helping us connect better with the nonsense going on in our world, you know, News-based Understanding
2: things. the nonsense is important.
1: Yeah, understanding yeah. the nonsense is important. Um, so, why don't we start with you, Dana? What are you What are you doing in your downtime?
3: Okay, so I haven't had time to listen to a new album or read a new book this week, um, but I am one of my goals for 2017. I am trying to cook or bake a new um, recipe each week. Nice. So for this weekend, um, I have my eye on these salted um, tahini. Chocolate chip cookies. I read about in the New York Times. I'm going to try that recipe this weekend. If they work out well, I'll bring some into the office for you guys. Um, work mom here. I'll be back. I'll
2: be back on Tuesday.
3: And um, but readers too, if there are any bakers and cooks out there who are enthusiastic about such things and want to send some easy recipes to a novice like me um you should do that
2: do you have a preference for baking over cooking yet because i think i feel like they're very different in terms of skill sets right cooking a little more improvisational you can have a little more freedom baking is like a more scientific process
3: um even uh, my non-desserty recipes are more often um cooked in the oven so um i guess i'm more comfortable baking but i also want to get good at stovetop yeah. cooking too
1: so so, really, your recommendation is not so much a recommendation as asking for recommendations. Yeah, why not? <laughs> that works. Well, send Dana your recommendations.
3: Send me your recipes. Yeah, um,
1: next week we'll see if the cookies are worth recommending. Yeah. I've, I've been sending Dana recipes every so often. But, yeah, if yes.
3: readers have any easy, delicious recipes for me to try, um, please do send them my way.
2: I mean, I think we could say Dana is endorsing cooking for yourself. Yeah. But more, she wants recommendations.
1: Yeah. And
3: if I like what you give me, I'll, I'll shout it out on nice. the podcast.
2: There you go. Um... Nate? Uh, so this year I've been trying to read more books, uh, both fiction and nonfiction. Uh, and uh, currently I am reading My Grandmother Asked Me to Tell You She's Sorry by Frederick Backman. Uh, if you know him, you might know him from a book called uh, A Man Called Ove, which is very popular right now. Uh, big New York Times bestseller. I believe he's Swedish and his books are translated. The translations are excellent. But anyway, Ove is a great read. I'm reading his another one of his books. My grandmother asked me to tell you she's sorry. And it's a great, fiction book it's it's not fantasy it's about a seven-year-old girl uh and her relationship with her grandmother that dovetails into these really fantastical sort of imagined worlds it just like it plays off of uh the strength of the imagination that children have um to take their real world and turn it into something that's this epic adventure um even though we're not like you know hunting orcs or whatever in the book but it's just a great really powerful read uh, great characters everything about it everything about everything i've read by this author has been excellent, so go check it out. Cool. Uh,
1: I'm going to recommend that everybody check out the new album from Moon Duo. Uh, it's called Occult Architecture Volume 1. It's sort of like uh, psychedelic... I, I'm i going to use this word, and I hate that I'm going to use it um, because this is what they call the genre of music, but it's kraut rock. <laughs> um, nothing like genres of music based on racial slurs. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> But it's like really like sort of robotic motoric um, rhythms and synthesizers and like super fuzzy guitar. Uh, If you were into the first Queens of the Stone Age album, their self-titled album, you'll probably like this. Um, It's a little noisier than, say, like a new or a can. Obviously, it's a little bit more noisier than can. Well, I mean, can's (laughs) kind of like lots of like other instruments, not so much big distorted guitar riffs. Uh, So this is more that realm. Uh, it's super good it's like super driving if you were to try and recreate Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas this would be an excellent soundtrack to it it's just as appropriate for driving down desert highways as it is for taking lots of drugs to
2: listen to the first 10 seconds before the podcast started and it sounded pretty good
1: yeah um, so yeah you should all check that out um, I just want to thank Alex Strong for sending us the title for the wind down uh, you can find him on, in, uh, on Twitter it's at invent Invincible, Alex. I want to make sure I got that right. It's not invisible. It's invincible, <laughs> Alex. Uh, so he sent us that recommendation. Thank you, Alex. And you know, other people, please send us recommendations for the
2: closing segment of the show. We'll figure out what we want to call it. I think it what Terrence point. is saying is that he will rearrange every aspect of the podcast based on your whims. Yeah. Well, I as
1: I say every <laughs> week, we nope. want your suggestions. We want your feedback. We want your recommendations, questions, comments, concerns. If you literally just want to, like, yell nonsense at us, that's fine, too. I might not read it. I might just delete it. But, you know, send it our way. Um, You can (laughs) hit us up. It's at Engadget Podcast on Twitter. You can email us, uh, podcast at Engadget. Dana, where can the fine people find you?
3: I am at Dana Wallman on Twitter. And, again, send me your recipes.
1: Yes. Uh, Nate, where can the fine people find you?
2: I am at Nate Ingram on Twitter. And send me your recipes as well. (laughs) or book recommendations yeah
1: yeah Uh, i am at terrence o'brien um you can send me recipes uh i i like cooking and stuff um so you know do that uh but please make sure to tune in next week rate us on itunes subscribe in your podcast app of choice all of that stuff helps other people find the show and we want people to watch the show generally that's considered a good thing right
2: yeah most of the time right let's go get back to work all right (laughs) later guys